friends. Welcome to the Skyline Church podcast. I'm Jonathan Middlebrooks, one of the pastors here at Skyline Church. Skyline is a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. We're committed to seeing revival in our city sparked through the presence of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit. These sermons are specific to that purpose and in the context of our unique community. We hope that it might bless you in some way. Enjoy. Skyline. We're going to go ahead and get started with our message this morning. And we're grateful, grateful to be back having communion, having a great time. It's wonderful. What a wonderful thing. So good morning. Happy Mother's Day. Um, I would like to shout out one mom in particular where I don't know, Dina up there, Dina Weeks. Woo! Yes. Finalized adoption, was it last week or a week before last? Tuesday, wow. Finalized adoption, amazing story. Dina, we love you, support you. Yeah, proud of you. It's an amazing thing. Man, what an incredible thing. So honor you to this morning. Blessings. Um, So we're so glad you're here on this special day and excited. um, Honestly, on this special day, we're in the book of 1 Timothy and we're going to be in chapter 2. And we're really excited to dig into one of the most controversial scriptures, um, texts in all scripture. So welcome. <laughs> if you came with a family member, I don't know, it's just kind of funny. So um, you get to be here on this day. Um, so we felt it was right on this day that we honor women in our community um, to give a picture of what we believe it looks like to honor women and empower women for the kingdom of God to fulfill their calling and uh, as, as we dig into this text, of which Annie's going to do the primary teaching portion of it, um, I, I want to remind us of our conversation about doctrine just a couple of weeks ago, to, to remember um, how we hold our doctrine is almost as important as what we hold, right? And so we're going to hold this, and, and you may find, as you're listening, that you disagree with our position, and I would just say disagreement doesn't have to lead to division, That's a choice, right? So we don't divide over these things. We actually can unite. But I want to ask you as well to maybe lay down this morning some of your presuppositions about this text and about what it means um, to lead in the church. Because you never know, the Holy Spirit might actually reveal something to you this morning that would uh, liberate you. So let's read the text together. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. She must be silent. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and with holiness, with propriety. So, as you can see, I'm sure some of you are actually having like maybe like a little physical response inside to this text. (laughs) Emotion, baggage, wounds, scars, and, and uh, before we even get started, I just want to say, if that's you and you are having this little thing happen, can I, I just want to say I'm sorry if this verse was ever used to like club you into submission and silence, because I don't think that was God's intention, and we're going to show that here in a little bit, and I think today you're going to hear um, a, a really liberating view of what it means to be a woman for the kingdom of God, um, a way that's biblical, that's powerful, and in my opinion is preferable for the church uh, for today and for the future. So um, 
there's three central questions. I can't remember if I got this on here. Yeah, three central questions we really want to answer that, uh, as I said, Annie's going to take this main task, so I just handed it off. You're like, I did that? Hot potato. Um, <laughs> three central questions. Does God allow women to lead? To lead both men and women. Does God allow women to teach authoritatively in the church, both men and women? And does God want men and women leading together. That's what we're going to look at. And we realize that most of you come from one end of the spectrum. Most of you, uh, or actually, I was going to see this topic here. This is just a, a little graphic. I can send this to you. It's fascinating because it shows the people in our original culture who read the Bible, read the Bible as redemptive. Like almost every class of person was treated better in the scriptures. Even if now we look back, we can look back at the Bible and it seems regressive now, 2,000 years later, 2,500 years later. But in the original culture, it looks redemptive, which means the Bible is really interesting to read because it depends on where you're reading it from, right? What your perspective is, which means we have to actually get to the bottom of some of these things and say, how does God intend us to take these things forward, right? So with this, we realize there's two main views of women in leadership. There's complementarian on one side and there's egalitarian on the other side. Complementarian would be a very traditional view that women should submit to their husbands. They should not operate in authority over men, either in the home or in the church. Um, lots of you probably grew up with this view. Now on the other side of that spectrum would be egalitarian, which, which seeks in many ways to kind of minimize the differences between men and women and says we're all equal. It's all the same. There's no gender distinctions, there's no roles, there's nothing. Um, and, and so you see that gap in the middle. Most of us probably feel like we're like somewhere in between. We're like, all right, I don't necessarily have a hardcore view here or there. What does it mean to live in the midst of this tension? The other thing I think that it feels like we're given two choices, and this is what I'd say. I think both of these are false choices. These are not the only positions you can hold. You're either in hierarchy with man above woman or you're in hostility, Right? You're, you're a woman trying to throw off the leadership of men. And I don't think either of these are the only choices that God gives us. So we're going to dig in this morning and say, is there a world where you don't have to choose either complementarian or egalitarian or a world where you don't have to choose either hierarchy or hostility? I'm so thankful for Jesus because I think there is a third way for us to live and be together. And I think, Annie, that is your cue. All right. Yeah. I'll turn my mic off so I don't say anything. <laughs> so we're going to start looking at men and women and going back to the beginning. So we're going to start in Genesis 1, 26 through 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his own image in the image of God he created him. Male and female he created them. And God blessed them, and he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. So we begin in the garden. God created mankind in our image. So he's saying in the image of the Trinity, the community they had, that word in um, the Hebrew is selim, it's image. Men and women were both created to be representatives of God, his image bearers. And he said, let them have dominion over the earth together. So man and woman are meant to jointly rule over the earth that God created. In Genesis 2, we have the second account of the creation story where God creates the man, or Adam, out of the dust of the ground and breathes life into him and places him in the garden. So we're going to jump to Genesis 2, 18 through 25. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. 
So out of the ground, the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all cattle and to the birds of the air and to every beast of the field. But for the man, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed it up its place with flesh. And the rib which the Lord had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife, and they become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So in this, we see that the first thing in God's creation that's not good is for man to be alone. So God comes and makes a helper for him, creating the woman out of Adam's rib. And the word helper here is azer, which doesn't just mean help. It means help. It's, it's a word that's used to describe Israel's battles, uh, allies in battle, and more importantly, God himself, several times throughout the scripture. Psalm 33:20 says, our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help, our azer, and our shield. So God's intention for man's helper isn't to create a second-tier human that's less valuable or less capable. The man needs help. So the first word is azer, and the second time it's Azer connecto, which means like but different. So man's helper is to be strength for strength, someone to come to his aid and defense. This is why in Jewish wedding ceremonies, the bride circles the groom seven times, symbolizing a wall of protection. Eve is a partner, not for Adam to have dominion over, but to come alongside him, to go on mission with him, and together to rule over God's creation. So now we get to go to Genesis 3 in the fall. It's the fun part, right? Um, Eve is deceived and listens to the serpent. They disobey and eat the fruit. And with this disobedience comes separation from God, death, shame, and separation from each other. The consequences of the fall and the fracture of the beautiful, harmonious world that God created is described in the curses, which he tells will happen. We're told that Eve will have pain in childbirth and will be alienated in her relationship with her husband, just as Adam, or Adam, is now separated from the earth that he was created out of. Eve is now separated from the man that she was created out of. In the same way that man seeks to cultivate the earth and yet receives thorns and thistles, the woman will seek, too, to cultivate her relationship with her husband. And her desire will be for him, and yet she will receive a strife-filled, domineering relationship. He will rule over her. This dynamic in the relationship is not God's intention. It's a result of the fall and not how he created the world to be. So we're going to go to the three central questions now in light of the garden. Does God allow women to lead? Does God allow women to teach authoritatively? Does God want men and women leading together? We believe emphatically, yes. God designed the world so that men and women, although distinct, were meant to become one and rule the world together as his image bearers. The result of the fall is that the harmonious world that God created and the relationships that God created were broken, and now men and women fight for power. So now we get to jump into our teaching text for today, 1 Timothy 2, 11 through 15. And if you're a woman like Jonathan said, you probably have struggled with these words or wish you could just erase them from the Bible. Um, but we believe that all scriptures God breathed and profitable in this passage included. So, but we, what we want to do is look at Paul's words in light of the whole scripture, in light of the life of Jesus, in light of God's claim for men and women, 
that we see in the garden and in light of the cultural context in Ephesus. Uh, so verse 11 starts with, let a woman learn in quietness and all submission. And traditionally, traditionally the world word quiet, which is hisuchia, has been translated as silence. And many church traditions have taken this to mean that a woman should not speak in church meetings and all submission to mean that a woman, women are supposed to be passive recipients, not active participants in the church. However, um, hisuchia really means quiet and peaceable. Paul uses the exact same word earlier in this chapter to tell all believers to live a quiet life. Next, in all submission, again, the Bible clearly teaches that submission is to be an attribute of all believers, not just women. In Romans 13, every person is to be subject to the civil authorities. 1 Corinthians 16 says the brethren are to submit to those devoted to serving the saints. Ephesians 5.21, all Christians are to mutually submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 1 Peter 5.5, 5, all of you be subject to one another. So what's Paul saying? Paul's saying that for the women in Ephesus, they need to be quiet and attentive, to not be disruptive in that context. And if quietness and submission we know are necessary, necessary qualities for all Christians, this suggests that there must have been a problem with some subset of women or one woman in particular in the church of Ephesus that accounts for why Paul would address this. Paul's not saying that women everywhere should only be quiet all the time. Verse 12, we go ahead and it says, but I am now not permitting a woman to teach with the goal of getting her way with a man, but to be in quietness. So traditionally, this verse is used as an always binding command by Paul that women are not to teach men, which would usurp male authority. Women are to be and remain silent. But when we look closer, the tense that Paul uses is a simple present tense. It's not a command or imperative form. It implies a shift in strategy that arose because of a unique issue that was happening in Ephesus. And Ephesus, as we'll talk about in a little bit, was dominated by the temple of Artemis. Um, the next thing Paul uses here is two infinitives, which I think we have a slide for these. Didascine, which is to teach, direct, and admonish, and authentine, which is to control in a domineering manner. What's interesting is I study this that word, that's the only time that word's ever used in scripture. And there's a lot of other words Paul could have used to talk about authority or having authority over someone. But he picked this one, and the connotation is different. One thing was said barking commands at, or seeking to control or dominate. So several, several biblical scholars, such as Philip Payne and John Zins, have suggested that these two words are actually co correlated. They're not meant to be separate and taken separately. Zen writes, in other words, Paul, in this Ephesian situation where some women were propagating error, does not want them to teach with the purpose or goal of getting their way or dominating a man. So instead of reading this as don't teach and don't have authority over, we would read don't teach and dominate or teach with the goal of dominating with false teaching. As Zins writes, there's nothing inherently wrong with women teaching men, but it is a problem when women teach error or teach in an attempt to get their way with men. Of course, the same concerns hold true if a male teaches error or teach with the goal of dominating others. What we know about the New Testament church is that both men and women are free to prophesy. As in Acts 2 and 1 Corinthians 11, Paul made it clear in 1 Corinthians 14 that he wanted prophecy from both men and women to be central in the gathering. 1 Corinthians 14.31 directs that all Males and females may prophesy one by one so that all people may learn and all may be encouraged. So, what's happening in Ephesus for Paul to make this directive? 
we're going to look at the cultural context of Ephesus for help in understanding this passage. And um, this is the Temple of Artemis. Ephesus was dominated by the Temple of Artemis. It controlled their social, economic, and religious culture. And if you read in Acts 19, you read about Paul going to Ephesus and almost causing a riot because all of the idols, the money changers, everything flowed to and through the temple. Um, People chant, great is Artemis of Ephesus for two hours. Artemis was a female deity, and the religion was a female-only cult where all the priests were women who rolled the show and kept men in their place. Adam, um, so there's a few things that Paul says, if you can go back to the passage, um, that would have a lot of meaning to the people of Ephesus. He says, for Adam was formed first, then Eve. And um, this would have been meaningful because the Artemis cult taught that Artemis, the daughter of Zeus and Leto, was born first before her twin brother, Apollo. And this would give Artemis dominance over her male twin. So Paul's correcting the false myth concerning the superiority of women who use Artemis' supremacy to dominate the men of the church. Uh, Next, he says that Eve was deceived. Um, She wasn't superior to Adam. Again, going back to the thing about superiority or having special knowledge, um, she was deceived into sinning against God. In 2 Corinthians 11, Paul warned both men and women against being deceived. But in Ephesus, the deception of the Artemis cult would have been especially problematic and enticing to women. Um, And the last line, and again, if you read the Bible, you're like, what do we do with this verse? Like, we know where salvation comes from. Pretty sure Jesus never said they'll be saved by believing in me and childbirth. Um, But so that line, women will be saved through childbearing, was actually kind of a slogan of the Artemis cult of the temple. And women, Artemis would be sought for help in childbirth, um, which if you think the life expectancy at that time for women was 25 to 30 years old mostly due to complications in childbirth. Um, she was called Artemis Savior. She would be petitioned for safe deliveries. And they would put on fancy clothes to go to the temple, which connects to a lot of the things he was talking about with clothing and modesty. So Paul's correcting a false belief about who had the power to save them in childbirth, reminding godly women to look to the Lord Jesus for help and not Artemis. So many of the women who had grown up in Ephesus would be skewed to a female-centered outlook on religion. And this seems to be what Paul is guarding against. Paul is saying that women need to learn quietly and not take over the leadership so that men and women alike can develop whatever gifts of learning, teaching, and leadership that God's giving them. So what's Paul's ultimate purpose? I think it's a few things. One is to correct false teaching. Another is so that there will be order and submission to one another, not domination or hierarchy. So that the church could have a good reputation in the city and so that everyone, both men and women, would have a clear understanding of the truth. As we saw in Genesis, the mandate to have dominion over the earth was given to both Adam and Eve. They were not to seek dominion over each other, but to carry out their stewardship of the earth as a team. We don't see God creating or ordaining hierarchies in the scripture. Rather, we see a God abolishing hierarchies. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So if there's a divine law that women teaching men is sinful, there can be no exceptions. But from both the Old and New Testaments, we see that women had an active role as presenters of God's will to his people. So we're going to go through just... There's a lot, actually. There's not just a few women who are mentioned in the Bible. Hagar was the first person to meet the angel of the Lord. 
uh, God told Abraham to listen to Sarah's instructions in Genesis 21. Zipporah kept the covenant with God and protected Moses from God's justice. Miriam was called a prophet, and she led the people in worship. Next is 38 ministering women ministered at the door of the tabernacle. Uh, Rahab hid the spies and saved her family. She believed in God. Um, Aksah was a daughter of Caleb, and she asked for an inherited land. Deborah was a judge and prophet, and the people of Israel came to her for judgment. She prophesied God's commands, and she went into battle. Um, yeah, we can kind of skip through. The wise woman of Abel is interesting. She was described as a wise woman who led the people in her city, and she gave them wise advice that they followed and saved their city. Um, Abigail Holda was a prophet to King Josiah, and there was other male prophets that he could have gone to. It's not like he was, who can I go to? No, he, he chose her out of lots of options. And Queen Esther, of course, saves the Jewish people. And uh, the New Testament, there's lots of options here too. Anna in Luke 2 is called a prophet and spoke about Jesus to all, not just to women, not just to boys under the age of 13, but to all. Uh, Mary Magdalene was a disciple of Jesus. She was the first witness and messenger of the risen Christ. Mary Bethany sat at the Lord's feet. She was his disciple. She anointed him with perfume. Um, in, in going, the Samaritan woman Jesus meets, and she goes into her village and converts many in her village. We've got Joanna and Susanna. They were disciples and financial supporters of Jesus. Lydia, Priscilla. And if you go to Romans 16, it's kind of like, you know, what is it, 10 of the people mentioned are women. Um, so we have Phoebe, Junia, who was outstanding among the apostles. Uh, Mary, who's worked very hard. Tryphena and Try Tryphosa were women who worked hard in the Lord. Persis, Rufus's mother, Julian, Nearsa's sister. Um, more and more you see women who are deacons, called apostles, contended, co-workers, um, and these are letters that Paul wrote, so I think sometimes there's this perspective that Paul is against women, but obviously he sees women as his beloved dear friends, co-workers, and sisters, equals in the church. Um, so in light of these women, does God allow women to lead? Does God allow women to teach authoritatively? Does God want men and women leading together? Yes. Over and over, we see women leading both men and women. We see women teaching men and women authoritatively how to obey God. And we see women working closely alongside men, leading together. Yeah, pass the baton back. Yeah, wasn't that awesome? That was great. Great job. Amazing. I love it. She can, like, it's like she's still hitting on the head with something, but it feels nicer when Annie does it. Because um, there's a lot of stuff in there, y'all, that I don't know if you caught it because she said it so nicely. But... Um, so, so here's what we'd say, like, is, is, is our only choice is complementary or egalitarian? We'd say no. We think you can actually have complementarity without hierarchy, right? We, we think that we can keep the distinction between men and women, how God created them, and then also have equality in every role and every function and every leadership inside the church, right? We don't think that everything has to be a competition and there has to be a ruler in every relationship, um, there is one. His name's Jesus. That's, we're all under him. So that's what we want for our church bodies. We want complementarity without hierarchy. We want to see men and women using their gifts, filled with the Holy Spirit, doing whatever God has gifted them to do and called them to do, right? And the other side is hierarchy or hostility. Either somebody's in charge or somebody's not in charge and they're angry. And we would say Jesus actually offers us 
harmony between the sexes. We can actually lead together. Does Jesus want men and women to lead together? Friends, the creation story would say unequivocally, absolutely, passionately, yes. He would say, you cannot actually image me just one person, right? Just a man alone cannot image God. He created two beings to image him back into the world. And when we work together as one, we reflect who God is. So, um, uh, uh, this was what Annie mentioned earlier. Paul, it's just crazy. You, you read past it because you don't really know the names, but the end of Romans 16, there's 10 women listed in this, greet these people who are really special to me, who I could not do this work without them. 10 of them are women. Seven of, seven of those are commended for their ministry alongside Paul, not just for hosting dinners and not just for cleaning up afterwards, but like they worked hard and risked their life for the gospel of Jesus in this really difficult place. So uh, the, the, um, the question I've been asking as well is, is the, um, well, actually, let me go back here really quickly. Um, there we go. I think I might have skipped it. Those are out of order. Oh, oh, no, I'm going the wrong way. Oh, no, no, I messed up complete. Hey, if we can get back to the slides, that'd be great. Um, so here, here's the thing. Um, Paul had a missionary purpose, right, which was to let the Roman world know that Jesus Christ was king, not Caesar. Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. And his missionary purpose was not to overturn the Roman household codes, right? Even though he clearly disagreed with them and he knew that someday his, his imminent purpose was that the church would have a good reputation in the city and a place to share the gospel which means, friends, we have a missionary purpose in the world in our generation. And we have to ask ourselves, is the way women are treated in the church today, is it fulfilling our missionary purpose or is it hindering it? And I would say the inability for women to lead, to teach, to preach, to have authority in the, in the church today is actually compromising our missionary purpose in the world. And I think the Bible gives so much freedom for us to flip the script on that and actually show the world what women look like when they're empowered to lead and teach and preach and, and exercise authority alongside men and that there can be harmony between us. And I think, so the question is, is the curse that God put on Adam and Eve meant to be normative forever? That's the question you have to answer. If you say yes, what do you do with the cross of Jesus? Did the cross of Jesus reverse the curse or did it not? If it did, then it reversed all of that, right? And Jesus goes, let's go back to the beginning, right? Even in marriage, he goes, what do you do about divorce? He's like, let's go back to the beginning. Male and female, he created them. He says, let's go back to the very first story. What was Jesus doing? So I love the story of Mary Magdalene at the, at the tomb. It's the most amazing thing the uh, disciples hear about it, they go, but she lingers, and what happens? She sees Jesus. She's the first person to see Jesus resurrected. She goes back, is the first person who preaches the resurrection, the first person to ever preach the gospel, which makes her what? An apostle, a herald, an announcer of the gospel. But isn't it interesting? What was Jesus doing by revealing himself to a woman first? Here's what I think he was doing. I think he was reversing the curse of Eve. The woman was deceived first, and the woman believed first. And Jesus was saying, listen, in my church, we will no longer hold people's past against them. I'm a restorer. What did he do for Peter? He says, invite all the brothers, also get Peter, because I know he's wallowing in shame. 
Tell him I'm coming to meet him because he's not going to stay in his past. He's a rock in this church. And guess what? Mary was a rock in the church as well. Women, you get to play in this game. Jesus was going back to the garden. There's two angels at the tomb. What does that sound like? It sounds like the Garden of Eden Eden, where the cherubim defended us against returning. And what did he say? He says, come in and look. (laughs) Come in. That's the message of the gospel. Galatians 3.28 says, there's uh, neither male nor female, slave nor free, Jew nor Greek in the gospel. And friends, this isn't just about salvation. If this is just about salvation, so many other terrible things stay in the church like racism. We'd say, oh, that's what they would say 200 years ago. They'd say, oh, black people, well, yeah, they're equal in Jesus spiritually, and yet they're less than human in the material world. We would say, no, 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 no. No, all are created in his image. So we say, women, in this, guess what? This has flattened the playing field for all of us. It hasn't eliminated gender distinctions. It hasn't eliminated how God has created us different. What it's done is it's made each other. We should be beautiful again to each other. We should see the differences. Amen. I like like a hand clap. Acts 2. Joel says this, when the Holy Spirit pours out, all people will prophesy, men and women, young and old, servants, even my servants. So he, he just gets in there, he says, it doesn't matter what socioeconomic class you come from, doesn't matter what race you are, it does not matter what gender you are, when the Holy Spirit falls, he falls on all people, and they will do what? They will prophesy, they'll dream dreams, and they will declare the glory of God. I love this because um, I get a front row seat to this, because there would be no skyline without Annie. I just have to tell you that. Like, we would not be who we are if Annie weren't my wife and if she weren't willing to minister alongside of me. Um, She served, led, suffered, prayed, taught, forgiven, and worshiped right by my side for this entire time. And you saw it today. She has the authority to teach the Bible because she lives it from her heart. And her grace and her gentleness and her intellect, I don't know how many of you got a perfect on your reading and English portion of your SAT, but she did. Can I just tell you a secret? I did not. Um, That was not me. But her obedience to and her love for Jesus has changed this place. And and recently, we're uh, at this event, and I don't know if Lauren's here this morning, but uh, one of our friends here, Lauren, she introduced Annie to someone as her pastor. And it was just, that just filled my heart, because it's true. She is a pastor of this church, and it is a spiritual reality that no man could ever eliminate right? You could not change that. It's who she is. And I think that the reason the church of Jesus Christ, wherever it goes, ends up winning cultures is partly because it has always been the safest place in the world for women to exist. The early church of Jesus was the safest place in the world to be a woman. What if we did that again? What if we said, listen, you can come in here and be who you're called to be. I love this quote, and we're going to end here. I'm going to invite the band back up. This is Dorothy Sayers. She says, perhaps it's no wonder that the women were the first at the cradle and the last at the cross. They never knew a man like this man, like Jesus. They had never, there never has been such another, a prophet and teacher who never nagged at them, never flattered or coaxed or patronized, who never made arch jokes about them, never treated them as the woman, the women, God help us, or the ladies, God bless them who rebuked without querulousness and praised without condescension, who took their questions and arguments seriously, who never mapped out their sphere for them, never urged them to be feminine or jeered at them for being female, who had no ax to grind and no uneasy male dignity to defend. Friends, could we just crucify our uneasy male dignity this morning? Who took them as he found them and was completely unselfconscious, 
There's no act, no sermon, no parable in the whole gospel that borrows its pungency from female perversity. Nobody could possibly guess from the words and deeds of Jesus that there was anything funny about a woman's nature. That's the Jesus of history, friends. That's his life. That's who he is. That's who he's calling us to be. So here's what we want to do. We want to end this morning with a ministry time of prayer. Okay? Um, We want to pray for people. Um, I'm going to invite our prayer team actually to come up now. They're going to come up here and be available. And uh, you'll notice that a lot of our prayer team is made up of women, and it's led by women. Isn't that cool? Um, It's awesome. This morning, here's what I believe. I think there's women in this room who God has been awakening in you dreams and visions of what your life could be with him, for him, in the church. I think that um, some of you feel called to preach and teach the gospel. I think some of you feel called to evangelism and missions. Like in your bones, you feel like I am called to go to the ends of the earth with the gospel. Some of you are called to be worship leaders. Some of you are called to lead businesses and nonprofits. Some of you are called uh, to be disciple makers of your children at home. And you know that is not a less worthy thing. It's a calling from God, a beautiful thing. We want to commission you today. If that's you, if you're saying, I feel something in my heart, I want to be a part of this thing, I feel called to lead, we want to pray over you. Paul says, Timothy, remember the words we spoke over you when we lay hands on you and imparted to you your ministry. Ministry gets imparted. It gets called out of people. It gets believed in by others as much as it's believed in by you, right? So that's what we want to do this morning. Some of you, on the other hand, um, you need some cleanup in your hearts. You've got some wounds and some scars and some baggage. Um, You've believed lies that were spoken over you, and we want to demolish that junk this morning. We want (laughs) to get you out of feeling ashamed for your strength, for your personality, for your gifts. Maybe somebody has told you your whole life, you're too much, which are the dumbest words I've ever heard because God, like God could create somebody who was too much. He doesn't do that. On the other side, some of you have been living in like rebellion against God, against men, against the church because of that baggage. We want to invite you out of that, right? We had a good friend, he says, listen, you can't get the kingdom of light with the tools of darkness, right? So you may have just, I've been angry because I've been abused by men. I've been uh, minimized by men. I've not been listened to. I've been silenced. And we want to just say, hey, this is a morning to give that up to let go of that heavy burden because Jesus is saying, I'll carry that for you and you've found a place now where you can be at rest. This is a safe place for women. You can be at rest with God and with each other and I think God's gonna clean that stuff up this morning. So where the spirit of the Lord is, there's what? Freedom. There's freedom. Freedom for all. Freedom for people to be who God's created them to be. So I want you to stand to your feet. I wanna pray over you. I just want to invite you, if if the Holy Spirit has been speaking to your heart this morning, ladies, that you would just come and be prayed for. And you may not even be able to express what it is. You're like, I can't even get the words out. That's okay, too. Jesus hears tears. (laughs) He knows what they mean. And uh, the people who are going to pray for you this morning are filled with the Holy Spirit, and they can interpret for you as well. And so, Jesus, we just love you. We worship you this morning. I thank you that you created Adam and Eve, that you created us to live in harmony under your authority, God. 
Jesus, would you forgive us this morning for giving in to false choices? Um, we would, under your guidance today, learn another way if you would be so gracious to us. So I pray this morning, Lord, for, for the women in this room who just need prayer this morning. They just need commissioning. They need healing. They need deliverance, Lord. I pray that this would be a safe place for that, that you would come and meet us. So Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your example. Thank you for your example. We just bless you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So we have prayer leaders down front as you feel led. Thank you for listening to this week's teaching at Skyline FKC. Again, here at Skyline, we are a worshiping community, a disciple-making community, and a generational community. So if you would like any more information on that, please go to our website at skylineokc.com and connect with us via that way. Thank you, guys. 